and it was just a really hard lesson and I learned a lot <laughs> the hard way. So how do you come back from something like that? <sighs> oh, you kind of put your big girl panties on and deal with it and focus on Mississippi and what can I do and what can I make better? I mean, you and I know medicine is changing every day and it will never be what it was in February. Here we are in May, we'll never go back to what it used to be. Hello, it's Ted McElroy and you're listening to the Vision of Leadership podcast. We're dedicated to helping you become the best eye care leader you can be. Podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. I am definitely not trying to brag, but I've been involved in recycling and sustainability for many years. It all began when one day I was looking at one of my soon-to-be 22-year-old sons when they were very young. I thought to myself, I don't want one of them coming to me one day and saying, wait a minute, you knew better all along and you didn't do anything about it? Shame on you. One of the things I can control is who I'll partner with. Sustainability is something that matters to us and to our patients, and Cooper Vision is committed to it. From executives to plant employees, at Cooper Vision, their commitment is to sustainable practices. Check out the show links to see how others are incorporating their commitment to sustainability into their practices. Welcome to the Leadership Podcast with us, uh, Amy. Uh, this is Amy Bogue that's with us today, this afternoon. She is going to... Uh, spend some time with us and, and I'm really excited about this because Amy and I've gotten to connect over the last couple of months, I guess it really is ever since, um, I don't know, really, I guess it's when the COVID stuff all started up really. Uh, we're in a group called the business accelerator community. It's uh, hosted by a group um, it's led by Michael Hyatt. You all have heard me talk about Michael Hyatt on the podcast before. And Amy is the clinic director for Allegro family clinic in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, she is a mother and a wife and a uh, God-fearing woman, which I've really appreciated and loved. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just really so excited to have her on today. And, and I guess the first thing I want to start off with, Amy, you, you sort of right before we got started, you said you were responsible for naming y'all's clinic. So I want to know the story behind this then. Sure. It's actually kind of a fun story. I enjoy telling, but my grandfather is the definition of an entrepreneur. And he used to work for Shell Corporate, broke off in his young 30s, started his own company. And everybody wonders, how did you get healthcare and gas in the same business? And he used to want to be a pharmacist. And so he put the first, uh, he called it Dutch Village. It's still here, just revamped a little bit. But it was a gas station that had a pharmacy. When you used to check out VHSs, a bank, dry cleaner, just a one-stop shop. And so we learned the pharmacy business and has since grown to 10 pharmacies. I am an RN by trade and we moved away. I lived in North Carolina. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia and Arkansas and we came home to 
decided to help with the family business. And he is so smart. He said, you know, I think we should put a clinic next door to one of the pharmacies. That makes a lot of sense. You go to the doctor, get your prescription, go next door, get your medicine. And he said, you're a nurse. Why don't, will you help me get this started? (laughs) I had been a hospital nurse. I had zero business courses, did not even know anything. The word credentialing, I, I didn't understand. And so it was quite the learning curve, but I've come a long way. And we since have four clinics and one spa. And the name, uh, as a hobby, kind of, he turns hobbies into business ventures. He races and raises Arabian horses. Uh-huh. And he would never name And they're like the best in the nation. And I'm not saying this to brag because he never talks about it. But, I mean, they won best horse, best barn owners, all these fun, cool things that are just very rare in this tiny town in Mississippi. Beautiful barn. But, uh the barn's name is Allegro and it means fast. And so when we were naming the clinic, I thought, what do we want to be? And we're kind of a walk-in primary care. I said, well, how about Allegro family clinic? And so that we're fast, it starts with an A, I'm a nerd, I'm an Amy. I kind of had all these little reasons that I liked the name Allegro and that's where we got the name. That's really cool. That is neat. I mean, because so when, when you are explaining to, now I'm going to use the word guest. You can call them patients or customers or wherever you want. That's just sort of my thing. And people go, what do you call them guests? That's weird, but that's, that's a different day. But um, when you have one of your guests that's in the, in the practice and do they ever ask about how the name came about and how do they take it when you say fast? Because, you know, people sometimes don't like the word fast when it comes to healthcare. Right. Uh- I think it's taken both ways, but I do think in this environment, they enjoy that. I've got an earache or a sore throat. I really just want to get in and get my medicine and go. And so it has been received well. The The people that know where the name come from associate it with the horses and think it's kind of a neat concept. Well, that's really neat. I guess, I mean, and you said it was your, grand, your grandfather. Yes. So I presume you really look up to him a little bit if you're uh, doing oh, yeah. that he's suggesting. Yes, he, he stopped by my office today and I was just sitting there thinking, I am so blessed and just lucky to be able to do business with him. And I've learned so much from him. And he told me today, he said, you know, I've allowed you to sink and swim a lot because that's the way you learn. I said, yes, sir. I have learned. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes that got me to where I am today. So, so give me one of those stories that has really brought you to where you are because of what your grandfather did for you besides the, of course the naming of the clinic and the horses and the all that kind of stuff oh, now that <laughs> i did not understand uh completely the business side so i he definitely would give me advice but there are some decisions that i made that we probably lost money in the long run because i didn't understand the full picture or there was a deal that i was trying to make that could have been better if I had been more patient. And I think some of that comes with experience. And, and it's, I, I used to be a waitress and I would get so frustrated, like how can I have experience if nobody hires me to become a waitress to get experience? And it's one of those scenarios where how am I gonna learn until I fall on my face and really screw it up? And so I, I have done that way more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> and it's been costly too. And you know, to give you one, awful example is we tried to open up a clinic in Alabama. And even though I knew the laws were different, 
I didn't have time in that moment because we acquired two clinics and bought the spa and we're trying to open this clinic and I didn't study the law like I should have. And we lost a lot of money. We made a really poor, bad business decision and ended up closing that clinic just in uh, March. And it was just a really hard lesson. And I learned a lot (laughs) the hard way. So how do you come back from something like that? (sighs) You kind of put your big girl panties on and deal with it and focus on Mississippi and what can I do and what can I make better? I mean, you and I know medicine is changing every day and it will never be what it was in February. Here we are in May. We'll never go back to what it used to be. So what are we going to do now? And honestly, being able to to close that one and not have to think about multi-states and different credentialing and different payers and all that stuff is helpful in the sense that now I can just focus on what I have here and grow it to be the best that it could be. Okay. So I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around multi-state anything, but I mean, it's not just multi-state for you. You've got a number of clinics. How many clinics are you, are you guys running right now? four locations in Columbus, Mississippi, and I added a med spa. I don't know if I've told you that. It was kind of funny, but the old owner approached me, and I really love wellness and fitness, and I thought I could turn that. I think that getting a massage is super healthy. I wish that insurance would cover it. I think for a busy mom, stopping for one hour and getting your nails done is mentally healthy for the mom. (laughs) Uh, We have a lot of gentlemen that get pedicures, believe it or not, Uh, and and. So I created a healthy you visit, which is what Blue Cross here calls it, a wellness, annual wellness visit. It took me nine months, but I got the spa credentialed so that you can come and do a wellness visit in that environment. And so far, I only do it once a month, but everybody's blood pressure is perfect. And I I would love somebody who wants to do a science project, but because I think they walk in and the music's soothing and you actually relax, you have a very good, healthy visit even though we draw blood we've just had some really good feedback in and out 20 30 minutes max that's all i'm focusing on and that's been a fun little venture and then that same person might come to a clinic and some people have the white coat syndrome where they just get nervous being in a clinic environment and uh so that's what i'm doing that's why i bought a spa was for the health side of it i think it's healthy but you said that you 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 petitioned blue cross for nine months to get this thing uh, a credential or accredited, I guess. Right. Um, I mean, what kind of, what kind of things are you doing within that spa that are non-covered services though, that might give you more exposure to other avenues of revenue? Well, I only chose to do the Blue Cross Healthy Use there just because that's, I kind of wanted to focus on the health side of it. So that's the only thing that they cover there. And then I'll be ready. One day I'm ready. If insurance says, hey, we believe that a massage can relieve a stress headache, which it does. That's what I use. I try not to take a lot of medicine. I'd much rather get a massage and then I'm good. But uh, we'll be ready one day. I know some states have teetered with it, but Mississippi is usually one of the last to get on board. <laughs> yeah, like One of the things that's big in eye care right now is aesthetics. I mean, we're, you know, putting in uh, intense light pulse image uh, instruments that help out with the wrinkles, you know, but also it's, it's there to help out with dry eye and things like that as well. And uh, there's a lot of other things that we're doing, but it seems like there's a big push a lot more toward these non-covered services because we're not having to go through 
the insurance channels as easily. And by doing it that way, I can set my fee at whatever I want it to set it at, you know, so I'm not having to worry about having to make sure I can only do this much. I can charge a, a billion dollars, but I can only get 75 cents, you know, and that's, right. that's kind of the problem with it, uh, right. where, you know, with those kind of things. But I, I, was, I was very interesting to do that. And so with the three clinics, do you use that spa as a referral source back toward the other clinics or are you using the other clinics to refer back to the spa or is it sort that's of a, what we're hoping? Yes. As we, I've tried to educate the technicians. So you asked about the cash, everything else at the spa is cash except for that one uh, wellness visit. And then, which is another reason I wanted to buy it to have, as you know, we may perform a service and not get paid 90, 120, sometimes a year later for what we did previous. Yeah. And I thought that the spa would be a nice cash flow to have actual cash because you pay when you leave. And, uh, now I got off the subject and I forgot what you said. It's all right. <laughs> I do this all the time. This is the best thing about doing this stuff. <laughs> you asked me something about the cash. How are you, how are you using it for more of a flow back and forth between the two clinics? Yes. And that sort of stuff. Yes. Well, I told our girls that they are the best marketing that the clinics actually have because usually they spend no less than 45 minutes to an hour with each client and they get to know them and they kind of become part of their family and, and part of the, client or patient's routine. And so that they, as in conversation, whether it's about their child or, Hey, I need to go do this, then they can kind of refer to the clinics. And then in return, I'm trying to remind the clinic staff that they can refer to the spa as well for those things. Oh, you have a backache massage actually really helps with that. Uh, one of my favorite services that we offer is the, and this is pre COVID, but the nursing home, the assisted living, would load up whoever wants to come and we only charge $10 soak their feet and cut their toenails because you think and it's, it's just a, a community service that we offer because as you get older it's harder to bend over and keep your toenails looking like they should and I, I that's my favorite day of the month uh, and I hope that we can get to a point where we can do that again yeah that's that's awesome I mean you know being able to do something I mean and I would imagine the return is not obviously on the investment It's the return is how you feel after you've been with somebody like that and been able to give so much uh, from what you have, you know, that's just, that's the most incredible part of the whole thing. That's right. And the girls love it too. You get to know the, the residents and it's the highlight of their day. We, right before this all hit, we were talking about even offering some mini facials and kind of letting them, cause that's an outing for them and it's a social event for them. And so uh, I really hope, we can get to doing that again in the near future. So one of the things that you've done also really well, and I've watched you from outside doing this is how you've positioned your clinic in the community as being the clinic to go to for, for all sorts of different things. I mean, it's, it, that's what's really been impressive to me. And so what was it that pushed you in that direction? Was it, you know, the defining moment, in on March 11th when things all changed for everybody or was it something you've been thinking about for a while? I mean, how did you get to that point? Well, I think it was a conscious choice that in my quiet time decided I don't want to live in fear and I'm not going to be fearful. And I mean, just like you, I'm sure pr pretty much every day towards the end of March, you woke up and you had no idea if, if you slept the night before what that day entailed. But what I did know is I'm going to be calm. I know where I'm going when I die. So I don't really have 
to fear, to be honest. So it, it did not, I'm like, okay, if I, if I get it and I die, okay. But I, what I'm going to do is educate myself every day and I'm not going to be fearful. And I wanted to be a confident leader. So as things were changing, just for us, some things that I did was we said, okay, we're going to, in the very beginning, and we only had limited tests. They said this one test that you could do, we probably had 30 tests when this first started system-wide, and then everybody wants a test. So we created one clinic, and that's going to be the COVID clinic. They're going to know everything there is to know about COVID. But when, when we set it up a certain time, did all these protocols, and I was the nurse to get the swab because I'm not going to ask my staff to do something that I'm not willing to do if it's in my scope to do it. And so that was kind of the first thing was, okay, let me get my hands involved, get my feet wet and understand what are we looking at? What is this thing? I don't even know. And then from there, just kind of adapting every day and every week as the laws changed, as COVID changed, as antibody testing came, just kind of, uh, learning and going with the flow with that. But I, I would say the ideas stemmed in our calls. I would get ideas as people talk when you shared or whoever was sharing ideas. I think we did a great job just encouraging each other. And then when Philip Stutz came on, he really kind of launched me to the next level. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I told my husband, I had four or five calls yesterday, uh, local authorities or whatever it was asking, what do I do? And I do think we were able to establish, like you said, trust with the community. We know what we're doing, but really it was, we just weren't afraid to talk about it and afraid. I wasn't afraid to say, I don't know the answer. I don't know. I'll tell you what I know this minute, but it might change by this afternoon. <laughs> so just kind of have to have some confidence, I guess, that it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> So, so did you embrace this thing that, and, and uh, just because nobody really knows who Philip Stutz is, we'll get into that in just a moment too. But uh, Megan Hyatt, Michael's daughter, uh, also works with Michael quite closely. And she's had a phrase that's really resonated with me a lot lately. So what would you do if you were brave? And did, is that sort of a philosophy you sort of played off of? And how has that worked out for you so far? Yeah, I definitely think, I love that quote. I'll have to write it down and, and remember it. But yes, it, there's a movie, Frozen 2, and I mean, you've heard of Frozen, if anybody's been around the last 10, 15 years. Well, it was playing at my house. It was around spring break when all these things, and thank goodness for Disney Plus, but my kids were playing Frozen 2, and this song came on, and it said, do the next right thing. And it resonated really deep. I said, you know what? That's all I know to do. And kind of along your lines of just being brave, and Anna was the underdog in the story, and because she was brave and all she did was the next right thing, she saved Irondale and all the things. So I got my two closest people that I work with. I got us a necklace and it says do the next right thing. And we wear it often because I honestly didn't know what to do. It's just number one, I had to keep my employees safe and number two, serve my community. So those were the two things that I knew that I had to do, but the only way I knew to do it was what's the next right thing. <laughs> so yes, I love her quote. And that's sort of the, I think that's something you and I both know about too. Again, going back to Michael and we're going to go this well a lot. I apologize, but uh, just to the audience, not necessarily you and me. Um, but you know, that's one of the things that we sort of talk about in our goal setting is that, you know, you come up with this master goal. It's just massive and it's great and it's wonderful. And you talk about why it's, why it's important for you to do it. What's your motivation behind it? And then one of the first things you do is talk about what is going to be the next step. 
and I think that's probably the thing that seems that has always in the past stood in the way of me getting a lot of things done is because I was always looking at this massive goal and I didn't look at what was just the next step. You know, where could I go next? And it might've been simple as just saying, you know, call this person. That was the first thing to, to do, you know, um, it's like, just like doing this podcast. I mean, how was I going to get, I had to call Amy and say, Hey, are you free on Thursday? Sure. You know, that was how it worked. Um, so that's, that's kind of that philosophy on things. So let's, let's talk about Philip Stutz. I want you to tell everybody who Philip Stutz is and why we really care about him at all. Well, I had not, to be honest, had not even heard his name until he came on Michael Hyatt. Neither had I. <laughs> so come to find out, you take a little sidebar and you Google and I'm like, he is a marketing genius and he mostly works on political campaigns, but he also does. I mean, he's out for hire. So whatever big companies want to use him, I personally probably could not afford him if I had tried <laughs> to bid him out just for me. So I was very thankful for his insight and the two hours that we've had with him. But he just really understands marketing and understands the changes. So he gave us some stats during COVID. And then we recently had a call with him and he gave us some stats pre-COVID. And what are people interested in? What does your message need to be? And so was able to take those things and put them into practice. So what was the, one of the things he talked about was, how do you want to be remembered a year from now? And it sounds like that was a big theme for what you were doing as this has all been unfolding. So how, let's talk about how you decided how you wanted to be remembered a year from now. Yes. And I, think I had asked myself that without knowing I asked it because I wanted to be a fearless leader and, and I wanted to be brave, if you will, go back to that word. And it was really neat. He inspired me to ask my managers those questions and their responses are really touching. And in fact, I've printed and I have a folder because in a year from now, I've got myself a reminder to pull those out and how do you want to be remembered? And I just want the community, and I think they do, know this now that we are here for them and you know I, I had told the newspaper like I took an oath to take care of patients and if that means I, I swabbed people right out here in the parking lot I'm not scared to take care of you and I think that a lot of people were so fearful and still are I mean I, I had a text just right before this call how scared she was and I calmed her down you know <laughs> it's okay we will get through this together so I just, uh, I do embrace that. And I, I, I hope that a year from now, that's what I remember about myself. It doesn't really matter if people remember me, but I hope they remember the system as being here, taking care of them. Okay. And so were there any other points that really sort of stood out to you? And let's start, we'll deal with the first call that we did with him first. I mean, what were the, what were the big take-homes for you? And I'll get into a couple of take-homes for me if you don't say I'm already. Sure, sure. Uh, I wrote them down because I think they were so valid. He, he said, people are not interested in you anymore. They want you to be interested in them and the community. So all of your messaging now should be about helping, helping them. Um, you should really highlight safety and just establish yourself as trustworthy and dependable. And so those were kind of the top three things that he noted where before it used to be you know, he, he joked about the Instagram girls that can sell whatever just because they wear it. People don't care about that anymore. They want to know what are you doing for the community. 
And, and I kind of revamped that a little bit and said, number one, how do I keep my employees safe? And then number two, how do I keep the patients and the community safe? And how do we get the word out? Uh, I believe, I don't remember if I did this before, Michael, I mean, uh, Philip or, or not, but what I did was gather, when this first started happening, gathered five other physicians. I had one of our primary care internal med and then got uh, several other specialists. And we just sat in a room and rotated and they said what they knew about COVID at that moment. And it spread even through some friends in other states, but it, it really did establish that trust and dependability that here you were boots on the ground. This is what we're seeing in this town, this moment. This is before the health department was putting out numbers and everything was so uh, available to everyone. But I think that did help us establish that trust and dependability. And then the newspapers started reaching out when they would want to do a story. And I'm honored that they choose us to ask the questions to, but you kind of have to take a risk. It could have gone terrible and I could have been wrong on a lot of things, but you have to take a risk to take that next step. Yeah. To me, it was the the three points and you hit them a little bit. I'm going to say it slightly differently perhaps was, you know, take care of me and my family. It was tell me that your products and your services are safe for me to use and be trustworthy and dependable, just like you were saying before. And the, the challenge was that all of this changed in like four weeks. You know, before that it was, you know, I want to have a exciting challenge filled life and, you show me how to be rich like you and drive that car like you're driving. Oh, look at my abs on the beach. And nobody wants to see my abs on the beach, but you know, that kind of thing, you know, and, and now you see, and you're still seeing some of this same kind of marketing happening and it is so tone deaf all of a sudden. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to, to hear the way people are talking about it, this, this direction anymore. And I think that healthcare, this is, this is our, really our time to shine because you know, healthcare really is built on those three things. It always has been. And we've been fighting for the dollars of our consumers, you know, for that new whatever they're going to go buy. And now suddenly they're realizing, hey, this other stuff's kind of important too. I, I think I might want to take care of my children a little bit better or my, you know, my parents or whatever. And it's really become a different kind of thing. So, how did you get your message out to people? What were you doing to get your message out as all this stuff is unfolding six to eight weeks ago? Well, I think Philip uh, made a good point. He was talking about how things like podcasts were actually down and people were focusing on local live news. And when he said that, that's what prompted me, okay, I need to hear from our people in real time. So we took advantage of the platform Facebook and went on Facebook Live and we rotated clinics and just some of your favorite providers. What are, you, what are you seeing right now? How are we keeping everybody safe? And they would just answer questions and whether people wrote them on Facebook or sent us messages, we would just try to answer questions and give live local, local updates. And that worked for about a month. And then I think people kind of have shifted and, and then we got to Philip's uh, second update, I suppose. So what do you think has changed then in this last month? I think to some degree, people are accepting the new normal because at first there was so much fear and unknown. You had to either market or adjust to that, to the daily changes, to the weekly changes. Now you adjust and this is the new normal. So it's more like, 
what is it going to be next week instead of every hour every day I mean, in the beginning, Acorn and I were talking 30 times a day, trying to figure out all the things. Well, now it's toned down. So uh, you just kind of, you still have to stay relevant, but it doesn't have to be as uh, informative as the beginning. I think people are getting used to what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that to me was, I guess, well, let me look at my notes here. One of the things he, he sort of, dealt with uh, pretty critically was, you know, you, you talked about local news and if you took the amount that was uh, seen by us or parts percentages, those that were on uh, headline news, Fox news, CNN regular, and you added all those up, they basically came out to what local news was all by itself. You know, and I think part of that was just because people want to know what's happening in my backyard. You know, I, I don't know because, okay, I really can't worry about the fact that people in Guam are not staying at home and doing what they're supposed to do. I've got to worry about what's happening in my own community and find out if it's safe for me to go and, you know, go down to Publix and buy some toilet paper if they have it, you know, and that's, I think that's been a, a big shift of things. Um, I, I don't know what, how things are, how are, th are things opening up pretty well in Mississippi right now? I mean, basically our governor just as everybody's been making fun of our governor, but I think he was quite bold and quite brave for what he did. And I'll get into that some other time, but how are things in Mississippi? It's about the same. He's, he's opened up. I think a lot of churches plan to start gathering in smaller crowds uh, in June and the ball fields with some rules and those type of things. But he is now just, I believe it was yesterday or the day before said, I don't want to mandate any business closed, which everybody said, does that mean the DMV can finally be open? <laughs> I got tickled, but yeah, I think we're along the same lines as you guys. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I, I do, I guess I do want to defend governor Kemp a little bit and I, and I'll say, um, I don't agree with every decision he's made. But the one thing I started coming away with, and my wife probably is the biggest proponent on this more than even me. She said, you know, I may not agree with him, but he is my governor. And, you know, I don't have to love him, but I need to support him, regardless of the fact that I may not vote for him in the next election. I don't know. I have the rat in it right now. I don't know what her ideas are. But um, she also said, but I am going to pray for him, you know, because if he fails, we're all going down the tubes. And I thought that was a real uh, timely thing to say. And she's gone out a couple of times and taken a couple of her Facebook friends on that are just railing this guy. And I, and I feel for him because there's no way I want that job. I, I just, uh, no way. That's, that's just way too much work for anybody to do, in my opinion. Um, well, you, until you're in the hot seat and you make that decision, I don't think people should be judging. And I said that when that first week when those pastors had to decide, do we cancel church or not, which had never been a question ever. When, you know, I mean, the, in recorded history, do we have to not meet or not? And I, I put that analogy on Facebook. I said, you know, because people were railing both sides. I can't believe this, you know, all the, the things. And I said, look, the pastors are just like a kicker. No matter what they do, half the people are going to love them and half the people are going to hate them. It doesn't matter what decision any leaders made in this crisis. You're half and half. Like <laughs> you can't win. And I wish some of those people hating on them would be in that position where they have to make a decision that affects others. For me, whatever decision I make affects all of my staff. 
it's not a fun seat to be in. And I, I'm with your wife. I've been praying for our local leaders and our governor too, because I don't want to be them right now. <laughs> so tell me what has been the most excruciating decision you've had to make in the last eight weeks. I think we all went, well, if you're a business owner, you went through that first shock of, am I about to let a lot of people go? Are a lot of people going to lose their jobs? Because our volume cut well over half, you know, 50 to 60% in that first little bit. And you're thinking, I can't pay these people. I can't afford payroll with those numbers coming in. Uh, and then thankfully the PPP and some other options became available. And as things are opening up, you can see a light at the end of the tunnel, but that was one thing that kept me up at night is am I about to lose a lot of staff? And I did have to close the spa down and their contract employees, we had eight weeks with zero revenue and I couldn't pay my girls cause I had no revenue. You know, they get a commission and that was very bothersome too. I, I still feel bad and, and it would check on them, make sure that you need anything, but uh, yeah, people and their jobs, that, that was the most challenging is that's always the most challenging yeah it's we had a similar situation i think probably it was a it was a series of excruciating decisions for us you know uh, we i came back from from franklin after our business uh, accelerator meeting that we had where he changed our program from uh, i think it was called um um the uh rhythm of productivity or something like that and we get a text message telling us that it's completely changed now we're going to be talking about uh, leading in times of turbulence, which I talked about on one of our podcasts a, a while back. And then, uh, you know, coming back home and having a plan, but sitting down with my team in this room that I'm standing in right now and telling them what we're going to do for an hour before we even open our doors to guests that day. And, and thinking, okay, that's the right thing. But as we've heard, I mean, this is all in wet cement. And as the week changed, you could start seeing things change more and more. And, you know, we went from thinking, okay, this is going to be a great idea. We're going to be able to handle this to Friday saying, we're going to have to close the door uh, because, you know, we, we can't work in too close a proximity for people to do traditional comprehensive exams on them. So we're going to have to basically just deal with emergencies and urgencies. And that's really all we're going to do for the next however long. And we did that for about four weeks. And then the next thing was opening up. I mean, that was kind of excruciating too. You know, we had this conversation with colleagues and in my group locally, and we had one, one uh, practitioner that was ready to go ahead and open up the doors. And then she sort of backed off a little bit. And then she said, yes. And, and by that time I went ahead and pulled the trigger. I got a week ahead of her. And so I may have been one of the earliest practices in the state to get back open again and smart or not. Um, you know, it's worked out well. I, you know, I think part of the bravery part of it is you know, it's, it's being brave. It's amazing. You're never sure when you're trying to be brave. And matter of fact, most of the time you're scared to death when you're trying to be brave. I think really bravery has nothing to be, nothing to do with courage. It's, it's about being willing to take that step, you know, and, and move forward. And I think that's what you guys have done really well with. One of the things you encouraged me to do was doing some of these Facebook videos, which was terrifying. I want to say, um, and, but yours are great. I'm, I've not been quite as good at it as you guys have. I haven't stayed at it, but I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how, how much that resonates with people just being in front of them. And, um, so what were some of the better topics you guys have had that are really connected to people with Facebook? I think COVID was probably 
the number one. Uh, what we were trying to do is educate. And, and I've found it's harder. I have a lot deeper respect for teachers because I'm not a natural born teacher like that. But it is hard to educate people. One, the use of gloves. And in healthcare, we understand cross-contamination. And that's a really hard thing to teach people because they put on gloves and they have this false sense of protection and yet they're spreading everything 10 times worse you know at least when you have your hands you tend to wash them more when you have gloves on people may wear the same gloves all day and not wash their hands and uh, so I think the topics of education were number one and two of course the transmission of COVID we really tried to educate people how you get it you have five ways to get it so teaching them the how, but the fact that every day I still drive and I see people in the car by themselves with their glove and mask on, I, I'm not doing as good of a job as I want to be. You know? yeah. If they understood, they wouldn't be driving by themselves with a mask on. Uh, so we really focused on the education component, but kept it all COVID related. And we're trying to slowly get back in. I, I don't know if you've seen some of the, the data, the vaccines across the nation for children are way down. And so there's been a push and we've got a room and we do pediatrics as well. So we have a well room that no one sick has been in now over three months. And so we've taken some precautions. They call, they get in the back door, go straight to the room. It, vaccines are still very important. So we're mostly education to answer your question. Okay. Um, you know, one of the other challenges we've dealt with right now is how terrified our team is. How are you how are you addressing their fears and their worries and, and making them motivated to want to come to work every day when they know, I mean, they're frontline. These, you know, if you're in healthcare at all, you literally are on the front line. How do you, how do you motivate them to want to come in? Because I mean, they got to be just as scared as I am. Right. One, I think being an example. So I've got no problem being the nurse. I mean, I, I you know, tried to show that week one and even here, even now they know they could call and anytime I'll triage a patient and do it. So I, I think taking action is one, but two, making sure everybody feels like they've got the supplies that they need. And that's hard to do. You know, you're in that position too. We kind of have to find them from all different sources, but educate again, we all each clinic educated universal precautions. And if you do these things, your likelihood of getting it are way low. And so um, just educating and having the proper equipment for them, enough hand sanitizer, masks, gloves, whatever they need to feel protected. We've told them all if they need a mask, they are welcome to, to get a mask. I mean, a face shield. So. Right. You know, one of the, th um, that's been the, probably the thing for us too. I mean, we're telling all of our guests when we're getting here, make sure you've got a mask. If you don't, we'll supply one for you. And we've got, you know, your traditional accordion, you know, plasticky kind of, you know, thing with the elastic around the ears thing. But uh, one of our vendors that we have through Vision Source um, had, we found that they were making these cloth masks and they had just arrived today. And I can't tell you how excited I am. The faceplate on them has our logo on them. And I'm just giving them away. I mean, I, once we secured enough just for everybody up here and for our families. The rest of them, when somebody comes in, I'm just going to hand it to them when I walk into the exam room and say, here, take this. You want to use that, you know, disposable accordion thing 50 times now. Just this will, you know, throw it in the wash and you can keep using it. And I thought, hey, it's better marketing than having something like that, 
you know, now I've taken care of them and their family. I've shown them their product is safe and I've shown them I'm trustworthy, you know, all in one $5 thing right there, you know, so that's a, I hope that's going to work out well. I hope it doesn't come off as doing me too cheesy, but I, I really think it's a, a decent idea. Um, I think it is too. You may be swaying me because I have, I've had some vendors emailing and I've just been, ah, I don't know if I'm going to do that. So you, you gotta keep me posted. <laughs> well, I started off today with one of those accordion masks myself because I'm trying to just see how these, the PPE we got to, for our patients to use, does it feel okay? And it's actually not bad. I mean, it's got the nice metal piece that fits up against my face. And when I'm going into the slit lamp, I don't fog up my optics too badly, but the, um, but I, I it was kind of boring. So this morning I just wrote on one of them, yes, I am smiling. And I had that on until lunch when the other things came in. And I can't tell you how many people laughed at that, which was, that was fun. Um, so especially my team, uh, they were laughing at it and they were making comments. I said, well, the reason I'm smiling is because the fumes from the magic marker are keeping me happy. Right <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of fun. Uh, when you're going through all these decisions, um, what is the most important driver for your decisions? your mission, your core values, or the vision or the, of the organization, and why is that one the most important to you? That's a hard question, because I, I feel like all three are important. I suppose the core values, when you peel the onion back, because why are you doing what you're doing? You know, for us, we're called in healthcare to take care of others. So how can I keep the doors open to be there for the patient and in a safe way, the safest way possible for both the employee and the patient. So availability is crucial and you have to maintain your core values to be available and open. So when you're going through all these struggles, where are all the great ideas coming from that you're coming up with? Oh, <laughs> you can ask my team. I drive them nuts. <laughs> it's either like at 3 a.m. I wake up and think about things or uh, not getting graphic, but like the shower time is when a lot of my ideas happen. So much so they bought me shower notes so I could write them down. <laughs> but I'm not allowed to text anybody till after 6.30 in the morning because I get up early and I try to go to bed early, but I get up early. And that's really when I try to do my thinking and ideas. I feel like as soon as I get in the clinic and, and people are in here, then it's a revolving door of, as you know, problems or issues or things coming up. And I, I can't plan as well as when I have quiet time. And, and I, I, I have crazy ideas and most of them don't work, but every now and then want to work. Does your team come up with a lot of these ideas as well? I mean, are, are you the like, singular are you the Walt Disney of your group <laughs> they might say I would be eclectic it's both I try to get feedback I do have a wonderful um, marketer and she helps me with ideas a lot too so I I like to listen to everybody and we what we did honestly uh, came up with five slogans and sent it out to the clinic and allowed them to vote and then we took the top three and I told the marketing girl, this is what I want. And they all had to do with safety and trust. After that first Philip talk, that was one thing that one other thing that I did. I wanted new slogans. And so we've been throwing those just over and over. We took out some ads in the paper and trying to, to post it and blast it on social media. So 
it is a team effort. I think that everybody has a voice and uh, I may probably come up with the crazier ideas, but I love when everybody pitches in. So how are you keeping yourself grounded through all this stuff right now? My faith. <laughs> I think in the support system, I have a wonderful husband. My kids are awesome and really good, hardworking coworkers. And I think that you are who you surround yourself with. And God gave us all different talents. And there's no, should be no competition. For me, when the team succeeds, then I succeed. If they're not succeeding and fruitful and in their God-given talent, then I'm not near what I could be. And when everybody's working at their full capacity, we make a really good team. And I do that both at work and in friends and just always kind of have, I, I recognize, honestly, I'm not good at things like hair and makeup or cooking. I'm not very good at that, but I have friends who are. So my daughter will tell people when it's ballet recital time, yeah, my mom doesn't know how to do my hair and makeup, but Miss Stephanie does, you know, or uh, Miss Rachel really bakes cakes well. My mom's not so good, but she does. <laughs> and so you just kind of, I don't take that, offensively at all. I know what I'm good at and I stay in that wheelhouse. And then you find people and surround yourself with others who are good in different things than you. And when you put them together, make a good team. So that's how I'm staying grounded is really good support system. So, so this, let's talk about your team just a little bit here. Um, you know, these wonderful people you have with you about what's the population there in Columbus? If you count the county as 60,000, it's not very big. 30,000 within the city, and then when you count the county, maybe 60. So where are you finding these rock stars that are coming and working with you? I mean, and I mean that seriously because, I mean, our situation is not that much different. We're actually going through bringing somebody on our team right now because, I mean, couldn't have had better timing. We get our PPP loan, and one of my staff tells me that she's tired of driving 45 minutes to come to work, you know, every day and she just can't do it anymore. And I was like, Oh really? Can't you just wait eight more weeks until I get all this money paid out? Because I just, it's going to be a pain. Sure. Whatever. We did find a way to keep her part-time working virtually for us, but you know, but where do you, where are you finding your rock stars? How do you, how do you get them to come and see you? Well, yeah, one, uh, kind of the right hand person, she, I'm sorry about that. She, uh, we acquired the two clinics and she was a manager at one of the clinics. And then ironically, the other one started babysitting uh, my daughter. She's now seven. So pretty much right after she was born and she was a stable babysitter for many years, learned to trust her. She was the first one my four-year-old spent the night with four years ago. So I had known her for a long time and she was uh, unhappy at her other job and was looking for something else and kind of had an opportunity to bring her in. And so it's kind of, those are the two closest that I work with. And then our marketing director and I, which I've known her too, but yet yeah, blessings is what I say. <laughs> I feel like God's just uh, allowed us all to be believers and work together. And, and we all have a common goal. Yeah. It's amazing how many times stuff just sort of falls into my lap regardless of whether I like it or not. Blessings are a lot of that time. In fact, I have a, um, and I'm sure you hear this a lot too, you know, patient walks out of the exam room, they say, have a blessed day, you know, and I always say, I will, whether I like it or not, you know, because it's amazing <laughs> how often I try to get in the way of getting a good blessing here and there. Um, right. So your team, what are you doing to keep them aligned and moving in the same direction? How do you, how do you get them all, heading in the, yeah just heading in the same direction how do you do that 
Yeah, we used to meet on Fridays uh, and got to where it was about every other week. So I have got some two other managers as well. So it's five of us or six that work really close together. And uh, we, when this crisis started, we started meeting over Zoom every Monday because we needed a plan. So much was changing all the time. And honestly, I logged on with Michael Hyatt uh, and showed them that lead through crisis. And we watched those little videos together. And this is our common goal. This is our goal this week. This is how we need to handle it. And it was really good discussion. I've actually learned a lot more about them having an open discussion and, and what is clinic specific and just trying to encourage them. And, and I kind of like that quote, lead with courage. Just, hey, here's what we're doing this week. And what concerns do you guys have? A lot of listening too. Yeah, I don't know if you've had one of these kind of meetings, but we had probably one of our best meetings we ever had. I think it was actually the week, <laughs> the week that we were getting ready to close. I had some team members that were just absolutely terrified. I mean, I, you know, there's just no other way to put it. And we, I, we had this whole agenda coming into the meeting and I said, I told my partner, uh, Dr. Harrison, I don't think we can do our meeting. We're just going to sit down and talk about what they got on their mind. And we spent an hour just letting them vent or, you know, share and cry. And it just, I mean, it was an amazing meeting. We came out of that and I mean, I, I've always felt they were good about sharing, but that was probably the first time they really, really got into it and talked about where they were. I mean, I had some of them that just were, I mean, on the point of getting ready to break down just because of the proximity they were having to have with people and, and that kind of thing. So uh, I think having some of those kind of meetings where things don't go quite so well that you would expect it to tend to be some of our better meetings. The ones that are a lot more confrontational tend to be the better ones. Um, and, I think really trying to dig in when they start having some of these confrontations and saying, Hey, I know this doesn't feel real comfortable right now, but this is good. Let's, let's get this out, you know, and talk about it. And uh, I think that's been really helpful for us lately. Uh, I, do you feel like your team is closer now than they were before March the 11th? I do. I, and I would venture that a lot of those in healthcare probably are because I think Brene Brown, I love her too, and I don't remember her exact quote, but vulnerability is brave. So your team was vulnerable, and I think that probably allowed them to grow closer together. And I think that each clinic has done that too, kind of linking arms and saying, okay, we're going to fight this together. And a lot of times when you, like we talked at the beginning, when you fall flat on your face or go through turmoil, you come out better on the other end. So I do think that they are stronger because of this. So this may be a sort of a bad question to ask you because you are relatively brave, but what would you do if you couldn't fail? Ooh. <laughs> if I couldn't fail, I would probably try healthcare reformation, you know, to, for my career. And, and especially what I went through in Alabama, it was very eye-opening, the power people and there's nothing that someone like me could do about it. I, I think they are hurting the patient because they're being selfish. And yeah, I think I would try to change that. It's you for Mississippi or Alabama, some of the laws are prohibiting those that live in these small towns and don't have access to health care. And it, mostly Alabama, Mississippi's 
has gotten so much better. It's the one thing they're way more progressive than Alabama in, but it really hurts my heart to think in the next five years when these 65, 70 year old doctors in their hometown retire or pass on the way they have the laws now, it, they're not going to have access to healthcare. So it, it's bothersome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to be really respectful for your time, but I do have one big question I want to ask. Um, is this how you thought it was all going to work out? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> now, maybe with my marriage and my kids, because I, I dated my husband in high school. We broke up for 10 years, got back together. So that part is... Yes, like all that I dreamed of when I was a teenager. But uh, work-wise, absolutely not. <laughs> Every day is a new surprise, and you never know what it's going to hold or what direction it's going in. Well, this, this has been an absolutely fabulous, fun time I've had with you, Amy. I mean, uh, and I wish, I tell you, I wish uh, people had a chance to watch sometimes what's going on on some of these uh, Q&As that we have with Michael. On, uh, now it's going to start on Mondays where you and I are sending messages back and forth to each other and making faces a little bit too. That's kind of fun as well. But uh, thank you so much for doing this. It's, a, it's been a real pleasure spending some time with you. And uh, I can't wait to do this again sometime in the future. It was my honor. Thanks. And I, I, I've enjoyed getting to know you even better. And I can tell you're a comic in the office. I think that humor is crucial in life. So I think you would be really fun to work with. Well, I, I thank you for saying that, but I, my staff may disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no telling what they say about me, you know. <laughs>